You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Hey, good morning. If you have your Bibles or you have a smartphone, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. So if you have a smartphone, you can Google Romans 3, and that should get you pointed in the right direction. There are some Bibles, as John said. I'm going to just take a leap of faith here and say, if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that one and take that with you. Is that something you guys do here? Great. Fantastic. So you're not going to just pull me off stage for that, all of that gift. Hey, my name is Evan. Uh, I am a native of Northeast Philadelphia. I was born and raised in Northeast Philadelphia. I'm currently planning a church in Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, Liberty Northeast, we started in January. We launched with about 25 people. By God's grace, we're now averaging about 55 adults on a Sunday and 15 kids. And so we're rocking and rolling in Northeast Philadelphia. We meet in a Jewish community center. Amen. Amen. So when I talked to the, our friends at the center, they said it's really interesting that a Christian church would want to meet at a Jewish community center, and they start laughing about it. And then I said, well, interestingly, Jesus was Jewish, and they thought that was even funnier. And so it's a great time. We're doing a lot of fun things. Uh, we're really excited about where we where we come from since January. We have eight people been baptized since January, uh, one of which, his name, uh, his name is Anthony. He said he wasn't a Christian, never went to church, walked in Liberty Northeast, and he said, something about this place is different. When I come here, I feel loved, and I see that you love each other, and I want that. I want that. So, yeah, amen. So he gave his life to Jesus, and he was baptized. We have uh, four home meetings, so small groups running, and we've maxed those out. And so we're now um, in the fall going to move to six of those. And we're just really, really excited. And you can continue to pray for us. We actually need a larger space than what we have at the Jewish Community Center already. Uh, we're continuing with all this momentum and energy. Uh, we need financial provision. And so what I want to thank you and Liberty Harrisburg is for the financial provision that you have given to Liberty Northeast. Guys like Pastor Matt and Pastor John have really, it's been put on their heart to see other churches planted in rural areas <laughs> as well as urban areas. And if you thought John's accent, is, his southern dialect is weird, you're going to pick up on my Philadelphia accent pretty quickly as well. But today, as I said, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. And we're going to talk about justification. Justification is the game-changing doctrine of Christianity. It's what makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world. It is the doctrine that you need to have in your back pocket at all times to follow Jesus. It needs to be something you have ready to go. You're able to pull out at a moment's notice to remind yourself of what justification is and what that means for you. Don't take, you don't take my word for it. John Calvin, he's this French reformer. He says this, that justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns. Thomas Cranmer from England, he said this, justification is the strong rock and foundation of Christian religion. And Martin Luther, the German reformer, which we sang one of his songs today, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, says that justification is the chief article of Christian doctrine. 
so that when justification has fallen, everything has fallen. See, justification is the doctrine so that at the point if justification falls, everything falls in Christianity. Because justification is so entirely important. And if you've been coming to Liberty Harrisburg for uh, some time now, and if you've been part of the Liberty Network like I have, justification is preached every week. It may be a little bit more subtle than we today, where today I'm going to make it very clear what justification is, but justification is preached every week. Every week. And so today what I'd like to talk about is that the Bible makes this very clear that although we are condemned because of our sin, we can have our sins forgiven and be declared innocent by God through Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear that you and I are born into sin, and because we're born into sin, we are condemned. But you don't have to stay condemned. You can put your faith in Jesus and have your sins forgiven, and God declares you as innocent instead of guilty. And that's what I want us to think through today. And so there's three things I want us to pay attention to. First, I'm going to talk about the need to be justified. Second, I'm going to talk about the possibility to be justified. And thirdly, I'm going to talk about the way to be justified. But before I continue, let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We thank you so much for the word. We thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you so much for the Bible because the Bible reminds us that although you are the God of the universe who has created everything we can see, that we can put our hands on, that we can taste, that we can smell, that you, that God, desires to call each and every one of us his children. And we reach out to you today. Speak words to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit be present. May the Holy Spirit take the words of Scripture and nail them into our hearts. May we not forget what justification means, but maybe something that we're always reminded of. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first, the need to be justified. We're going to look at Romans 3, verse 21 to 23. Paul writes this. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I need something or someone to justify us. It doesn't matter who you are. Each of us has this desire to justify ourselves before others. I need to justify my existence. I need to justify why I breathe the same air as everybody else. Each of us wants to justify our, our existence, and we want to justify ourselves. And we want to live up to these expectations because we want to amount to something in this life. There's this runner in Chariots of Fire, the movie, he says this. He says, when the gun goes off, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. If you're a runner, you're supposed to run. 
and you're supposed to run better and faster than anybody else. And it's your job in that moment, in that race, to justify your existence before everyone. And you might not be a runner, but use something in your life, something in my life that I justify my existence. And for me, that's productivity. I can't live without being productive. I can't live unless I'm always working. And that's probably you. If you're the guy, it doesn't matter what day it is. It could be Saturday. It could be your day off. It could be Sunday. You're always working on something. Because if you're not productive, you're the worst thing that anybody would possibly say about you is you're lazy. I can't live with myself unless I'm productive. But the problem with people like us is that people like us work ourselves to death. There's statistics recently that say pastors work somewhere between 55 to 75 hours per week. And most of them who do that burn out in 10 years. I can't live unless I'm productive. For some of us, it's our children. My children make life worth living. I do everything I can for my children. I go to work for my children. We do this Disney vacation for my children. Everything I do is for my kids. But oh my gosh, have you ever thought about the heavy expectation that is on your children? How that just crushes them that I live for you? And so if you don't turn out the way you're supposed to turn out, I failed as a father. I failed as a mother. If you don't become like the world's best doctor and you've throughout high school, you hit all those AP classes and you're like three tennis teams and you don't get straight A's and you go to one of the best colleges in the world, I have failed as a parent. But we crush our kids when we do that. I have four kids. If my kids are the reason why I live, I have every opportunity to crush them under those expectations. For some of us, it's our moral standing that justifies us. My motivations for doing things are right. Everybody else's are wrong. And when we see that really play out in our world is when political conversations start happening. I love America. Those people don't. I am not racist. I am not bigoted, but they are. My moral standing is everything to me. I have to be right above everybody else. I am morally right. They are immoral and morally wrong. And so what happens to us is that when we fail morally, when we drop the ball on our own expectations, or maybe politically, when the person in office is not the person that we want, it crushes us. It destroys us because everything about my life was wrapped around in me being morally right and the people in charge being as morally right as I am. But if I had to guess for most of us, what justifies our existence, most of us here, is our religious standing is living up to God's expectations. And when we do that, what we do is we quantify our work for God. I read my Bible 30 minutes today, but don't worry, God, tomorrow it's going to be 45. 
Yeah, don't worry, God. Tomorrow, I know I lashed out on my kids today, but tomorrow I'm not going to do that. Hey, God, I know I slept in a little bit. I hit the snooze button on my iPhone way too many times, and I didn't wake up today. So don't worry, God. I'll read my Bible tonight, and I'll read it twice tomorrow. And so we get involved in every small group. We serve in every area, and we do everything we possibly can to make God happy with us. And those things aren't necessarily wrong. But if we're doing it because we want to make God happy with us, the Bible says we've completely missed the good news of Jesus. And Paul spends the first two chapters of Romans actually pushing back against that because he says God's expectation for you and God's expectation for me is not that we do a pretty good job at following his law, but we perfectly follow his law. That we never mess up. That is God's expectation. And so Paul says in the beginning of Romans 3, he says, no one does that. No one is righteous. No, not one, Paul says. Doesn't matter if you keep 99% of God's law. That 1% condemns you. And Romans 3, we just read, says, for there is no distinction, for all have what? Sinned. Imagine you're in a courtroom, and there's this accused war criminal sitting before a judge, and as he's, the trial goes on, the laws are read, and this war criminal realizes that he will be condemned. He's broken every rule of war, every law of war. He's done. He's doomed. The judge will definitely pronounce him guilty. Or imagine you're at a restaurant, and you're at a really expensive restaurant because it's, you just got this job promotion and you have a new salary and you're really pumped. And so what you do, you and your friends, you rack up this bill. And when it's time for the bill to get dropped off, your heart drops to your stomach because you just realized you forgot your wallet. And the bill is so high, you spent so much money that there's not enough dishes that you could wash to pay that bill. Paul says, the Bible says, because of sin, I am a guilty criminal. All have sinned, Paul says. We have not lived up to God's expectations. Sin, one way to talk about sin, if maybe it's term that's unfamiliar to you, is sin is any way in which we rebelled or resisted against God's desired peace for our world. So God desires peace for our world. God created the world perfectly, and if we do not live perfectly and follow God's laws, any way we rebel against that or we resist it, the Bible says that is sin. And all have sinned. And all have sinned because in Genesis 3, Adam sinned as your representative. See, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And so the Bible is clear. When the Bible says all have sinned, it's not saying that just that you and I individually sin, is that we're born with sin. So we are condemned before we even take a breath in this world. You and I are condemned because Adam was our representative as the first human, and he blew it. So it might as well have been us, the Bible says. 
and we individually, we mess up as well. So when God reads his law to us, we stand before God, we will most certainly be condemned because we have failed and we've fallen short. And the Bible also says, because of my sin, I have a huge debt. There's not enough dishes that I could ever wash to pay off my bill to God. Can never work hard enough. I can never be good enough to pay it off. My good deeds, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. They're never going to be good enough. And for this, we have the sin of effort, right? So maybe the first one, the war criminal one, or the criminal one is a, a sin of rebellion. But this is the sin of effort. It's this belief that I can work hard enough for God to be happy with me. If I just do enough good things, if I just follow enough of the Ten Commandments, if I follow them all to the day I die, I will have earned my place with God and that's sin too because it becomes all about my righteousness, not God's. So it's not that I just rebel, it's that I actually try my best and I work really hard to make God happy with me. But now, the Bible says, if you're going to circle anything in your passage, circle, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Righteousness is a validating record that opens doors. A validating record that opens doors. So if you think of a resume, right, your resume opens doors for you. Your education, your job experience, that opens up doors to other things for you. And when we talk about justification and we talk about righteousness, it's basically the same word. And so with something that justifies our existence, it justifies us breathing the same air as everyone else. But the Bible says your righteousness will never be good enough. And your efforts will betray you. My efforts will never be good enough for God to accept me. Never. My sin makes it that God cannot accept me. And my resume falls short. Your resume, God, the Bible says, when you come to God and you say, God, you should accept me. Here's my righteousness. Here's my resume. Your resume is handwritten on paper from a composition notebook. It has coffee stains on it. Your, your uh, egg McMuffin is like all over the paper. God says, when you hand me your resume, you say, this is my righteousness, God. God looks at it and says, this is not good enough. It's not. It's a mess. It's dirty. It's not good enough. But God. But now. A new way to acceptance by God has been made possible. God makes it happen. See, because God is just, God has to judge my sin. He has to judge your sin. We've broken the law. We've fallen short. We have to be judged. So God has to do something because we all stand condemned. So Paul says, but now there's this new way to be accepted by, by God. It's something beyond myself. It's something beyond the law of God. And although the prophets, although God's law pointed to this, it, Paul's saying it's now being revealed. 
So what is it? What makes justification possible? What can make us righteous and accepted by God? And so what we see here in Romans 3 is the possibility to be justified. Look at verse 24 and 25. So remember, all have sinned, all fallen short. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. See, God provided a way for us to be forgiven and declared innocent. God provided a way for you and me to be forgiven through the costly death and sacrifice of Jesus. See, the debt was too high. And God, because he's just, he has to judge sin. And God judged Jesus instead of you. God judged Jesus instead of me. And so the Bible uses this word redemption. Redemption is the act of buying a slave back in order to set them free. Jesus' blood paid for your sin. Jesus' blood paid for my sin, my slavery to sin. So what? I can be set free. You can be set free. So yeah, you stand condemned. I stand condemned. But Jesus buys me back so he can set me free. And the word propitiation is used here. Propitiation is that God actually turns his wrath on your sin away from you and onto Jesus. God actually takes the wrath that is deserved for sin and he turns it away from me and puts it on Jesus. So Jesus is condemned. You are forgiven. You are pardoned. Jesus is declared guilty. I am declared innocent. And not only that, the Bible says, you and I are not only declared innocent, we're not only pardoned, we actually receive the status of Jesus. So when God looks at me, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus and what he's done for you. So not only has the war criminal had his crimes dropped, he also receives the Congressional Medal of Honor. Not only does your bill at the restaurant get paid off, but you get the restaurant too. It seems crazy, right? It seems 100% completely unfair. Nobody, there's nothing in the world that shows grace and mercy like this. Nothing. There's no way if I'm a restaurant owner, I'm giving you the restaurant too. Sure, I might relieve your check. I might be a nice guy. But there's no way you get in my restaurant. None of us here would in any way give a war criminal the Congressional Medal of Honor. He doesn't deserve it. That's the point. We don't deserve it. But God gives it to us anyway. It's not just our record is cleared and we're forgiven. God looks as a, to, at, to us, at us, as if we're Jesus. And looks at Jesus like he's us. 
so you can be accepted by God. I can be justified. My sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. Your forgiveness for your sins of rebellion or your sins of effort. For trying too hard, for actually making it all about you and your righteousness. God says, in Jesus, I will forgive you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how much you've hurt the heart of God, no matter how much you've screwed up, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how many things you've done that would condemn you, God says, in Jesus, I forgive you. And you're no longer a slave to sin. You're my son. And we are accepted by God. But how do we get it? Right? How do I get that? How do I get justification? How can it actually be applied to me? And so the way to be justified in Romans 3, 26, when Paul says this, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. We are justified when we put our faith in Jesus. That's it. That's all we need to do. Just put our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. It's funny, we just, we mentioned Martin Luther. I mentioned him earlier. We sang one of his songs. There's this legend about Martin Luther when he's translating the Bible in Wartburg, Germany. And I actually had an opportunity in college to go to the room where he was translating the Bible. It's like in this small room in a castle in Germany. And while he's there, legend has it, Martin Luther was visited by the devil. And the devil comes and he starts to accuse Luther. He starts to accuse him of all his, of his sins. Here's all the ways you've messed up. Here's all the ways you screwed up. You are a liar. You're a cheat. You lust after women. Everything you could possibly think of, he just goes at Luther hard. And Luther says, okay, okay, hold on one second. He grabs a paper, his inkwell and his quill, and he just starts writing down everything the devil says. Okay, keep coming, keep coming, keep hitting me. Okay, okay, all right, great. I lie, I cheat, got it. All right, awesome, all this stuff, good, good. And Luther says, are you done? The devil says, yes, I'm done. And Luther takes the list of all his sins and he crosses it off and writes across it, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And he takes the inkwell and he throws at the devil and the devil disappears and the inkwell hits the wall. If you actually go to Warburg, Germany, to that room today, there's a large ink spot on the wall. Now, it's a legend. It may not have happened, but it illustrates a great point, right? Is that the devil will come to us, the enemy of God, he'll come to us, the enemy of us, which the song actually says, right, about the devils coming to us and telling us and listing out all of our sins and accusing us. And all of that's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus when we put our faith in him. All we have to do is put our trust in what Jesus has done for us. And all of that is gone. God has done this before we could attempt to even do it ourselves. God did it. So it's all about his work. In Jesus, you get pardoned, liberated, and your sins atoned for. And in Jesus, 
you get the status of Jesus. The status of the only one who lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you and I deserve to die. So that everything that he deserved can be mine, can be yours. See, the sin of Adam was given to us, but through faith, our sin is placed on Jesus and his status of perfect obedience is placed on me, is placed on you. God is just. Romans 6.26 says, he's the just, he judges sin by judging Jesus. He has to judge sin, remember? But he judges Jesus for that sin. And he's justifier. He's also gracious and loving towards us. There's this guy who's been coming to Liberty Northeast for some time. And I sat down with him one time and we were talking about justification And he was talking about all the expectations that are put on his life, that he puts on his own life, the expectations to make his dad happy with him, to make his wife love him, to make everybody around him be happy with him and say, I say, this guy deserves to live. He deserves to breathe the same air as the rest of us because of everything he's doing in his life. He's keeping up the expectations. And I said, you know what, man? I hear all that, and I feel that. I really do. But when I talk to you about justification, when you hear what Paul says here, that Jesus is the one who kept all the expectations for you, how does that make you feel? And he looked up at me, and he said, Evan, I realized the pressure's off. The pressure's off. He said, I don't need to justify myself before others because God justifies me. I don't need to justify myself before God even because God has made a way for me to be justified through the blood of Jesus. So the pressure is off. All the expectations I heap on myself, all of my failures when I don't keep up those expectations won't crush me when I believe that. Because Jesus was crushed for me, my failures don't need to crush me. Because Jesus kept all the expectations, all the expectations I put on myself and I put on others, Jesus keeps them all. That when I don't keep those expectations, when I don't live up to them, those failures do not destroy me because Jesus was destroyed on my behalf. Because it's not about my success, but Jesus' success on my behalf. And all I need to do, what you need to do, we need to repent. We need to repent of our rebellion, the ways we've messed up, the ways we've actually have rebelled against God. And we need to repent of our effort the ways we seek to justify ourselves before God and others. See, what the devil would love to do, what he'd love to do in my life and what he would love to do in your life is continue to get you to rebel, to continue to get you to sin. The devil would love to do that. But what's tricky about the devil, one of his best moves is to get you and I to believe 
that if I just work hard enough, God will be happy with me. If you just worked hard enough, Evan, if you just read your Bible more, if you just prayed more, if you went to more small groups, if you served on more teams, if you just preached more at anybody who asked you to preach and drive out to the middle of Pennsylvania, if you just did that more, God would be happy with you, Evan. See, I need to repent of that for believing that lie. And I need to worship because I need to praise God for his work. That's all about his work, that he did it all, not me. Because when I worship God, it deflects the attention from me and on him. And I need to obey. But not obey because I'm going to make God happy with me, but I obey out of gratitude for what God has already done for me. So that when you live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus, don't live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus to make God happy with you, but realize that God is already happy with you in Jesus. And he's done so much for you that out of gratitude, live, speak, and serve like him. He's done so much for you. You and I, we deserve to be condemned. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven and God would declare us innocent. Not as slaves to sin, but sons in his kingdom. Let's pray. Hey, maybe this is your first time hearing about this. Maybe it's your first time in the church or your 1,000th time to church and you never actually believed that Jesus did it all for you and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You may say you have, but your actions reflect otherwise. I want to give you a moment to silently pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you Thank you for everything you've done for me. I've failed. I've screwed up. I haven't believed that you've done this for me. My actions show that I believe it's all about me. It's all about my righteousness, not the righteousness that was given to me because of you. Forgive me. And may I live, speak, and serve as the very presence of, of Jesus, of you, out of gratitude for that gift that you've given me. And for the rest of us, Father, may justification be something that's just implanted in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit remind us of this constantly. When I mount up the expectations I have on myself and others, and I need to prove my worth, Help me remember that my worth does not come through my work or what I've done, but what Jesus has done for me. And as we come to the table, where we openly proclaim that through our actions by coming to the table, help us remember all that we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. 
To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.